Hey, it's Ruta Black Girls of Fadan FNAM, representing everyday Black millennial women of multiple faiths and cultures. This week, we discuss our girl Kamala Harris and what she represents and how she may be more connected to Danny Lee's yellow bone than we initially thought. Sit back and ride out with us. All right, good morning, Farah. Assalamualaikum, how are you? Alhamdulillah, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I feel like I there's like a sigh of relief among the community right now with, you know, I, I was I was I was concerned about inauguration day to be honest, and I, I wasn't watching any of the media, but I feel like that has been going really well and Biden has gotten to office yeah. safely and has actually been doing the stuff that he said he was gonna do. So I feel like there's like a state of calm a little bit right now, but yeah. how are you doing? I feel the calm. Um, I was watching as I was seeing patients um, between patient care really in our office. I had the computer up with the volume all the way up, you know, watching the inauguration. And, you know, I had kind of mixed feelings around like, oh, okay, we got that dude out of the office, but like these two people kind of represent status quo. And I won't, <laughs> that's not even what the yeah. episode means, you know, what we're talking right. about. But, you know, I'm definitely proud of uh, Kamala being in office. And we're going to talk about that a little more, but they do represent status quo to me. And I think what I learned yeah. as a young person uh, who elected um, uh, Barack Obama is that I, I kind of elected him and forgot about him, right? It was just like, go do your work. And so now as like a formed adult who still got a little bit of delayed adulthood, I'm gonna be on the ass. <laughs> you know, I'm watching, yeah. I, like, policy oh, are you doing? I read all 17 executive um, uh, actions that he did, uh, Joe Biden. And so I'm just like informed and engaged. And that's how I plan to move forward with this presidential kind of four years that we're gonna move into. I love that. And I think I think that's definitely a lesson that a lot of us millennials um, learned. It's like, it's not a set it and forget it. It's like, no, we yeah. got to apply pressure. We got to, you know, it's not like, okay, you're in office and now you're good. It's yeah. no, you better keep it up or else, you know, like we just, we're just not taking no more shit, I think. And I, I really love that energy. Yeah, and I so want Gucci point, energy. I don't want, I want Gucci. You know, when he was uh, during his um, verses where he was standing up the entire time and sweating in that camel coat jacket. Like he was applying pressure the entire time. And so That's we right. are going to be on our Gucci energy. Okay? I love it. <laughs> Feet on neck. I get it. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so today's episode, we're super excited to talk about Kamala and specifically like what she represents, but also what she doesn't represent, right? Mm -hmm. Because you can be all things, all people all the time. And so I'm really, really excited for this conversation. And I definitely am excited to kind of hear about like what you have to say you know Farah, I think in terms of like how we balance out the podcast you're definitely um, somebody that I look to for advice when it's like you know how I should be thinking about things politically instead of like a oh we have somebody in office check the box She's like no look at it deeper what does it really mean I was like I don't know Farah, what does it really mean <laughs> but mashallah like I think it's helpful to have these conversations to really be intentional about what's happening and what that means in the context of the history of this country so you know kind of kicking it off with with Kamala let let me know specifically about like for the viewers excuse me for viewers who haven't actually gotten a chance to know, because we do have some of you guys who are international, tell us a little bit about Kamala Harris. 
No. Yes. So Kamala is the uh, first woman, first black person, and also the first South Asian person to be elected as the vice president. This is like gang, gang, gang. That's a big deal, right? And so she's going to inspire generations to come, especially black and brown generations, black and brown women. Um, and so historically, when um, movements have had multiple identities, uh, more people are kind of uh, decide to be a part of the movement and subsequently join the movement. And so yeah. she could represent why there was this flux of voters who decided to vote for her, because we know that there are some like immigrant brown communities who decided to vote for Trump. Um, and so perhaps her multiple identities uh, kind of allowed people to move back, right? Because we know that there's this moderate group of people who go back and forth between parties, right? Yeah. Um, and so she's also um, and uh, has married a, a white Jewish man. So she represents kind of interracial marriages, you know, and I had a friend on uh, Instagram. He was like, man, black men, it's over for us. Like black women, like her representing kind of interracial marriages and black women kind of understanding, like they don't got to deal with this no more. Right. Like she kind of represents that. And so we're not exactly talking about her being married to a white Jewish man, but I think that's, you know, kind of interesting. Part of what she represents. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I think, you know, she represents black and brown solidarity um, yeah. in one person. And she also shows us what an alternative kind of family ecosystem and what that looks like. And so she is kind of well represented in, in, in America, right? And she, yeah. um, I hope that all that she represents, uh, you know, for me, when I'm like mm -hmm. checking and, and seeing what she's doing, moves into, uh, I hope she uses this like multiracial, multi-identity that she has into like governance and policy. Of course. But I don't, yeah. I have a big thing and I wrote this the other day and I kind of uh, got it from my friend Kifash Shaw. She's also a friend of the pod. Um, she said, I don't support identities. I support values. Because mm -hmm. you could be a black, brown, dope ass person, right? Or not, I won't even say dope, extract that. You could be black and not have similar values, right? And so I need you to talk to that, right? Because there has been some kind of like, policy change that she's had over the years, right? So we need some context yeah. on our girl <clears throat> politically. Yeah, absolutely. So for those of you guys who didn't know, she's actually from Oakland. I'm wearing my Oakland Roots mm -hmm. hoodie today, right? And so she started off her, you know, political journey in Oakland where she was from, which is awesome. And she was the assistant uh, district attorney there. Um, before she moved to San Francisco, where she became the district attorney, which is very, very interesting. And actually it was Farah who had pointed out the significance of her transitioning from, you know, from Oakland to San Francisco. Yeah. So, you know, San Francisco is quite interesting of a, of a town. Um, it has displaced a lot of like black and brown people, black people, Chicano people in, in the city. Um, I used to live in the Bay Area. And so, the San Francisco is really a large white community, a large white gay community, an Asian community of affluence, right? And so yeah. why she's been casted as like a centrist kind of moderate is because that's who her demographic was essentially, right? Yeah. And so for her not, you know, maybe she was in Oakland in Alameda County where she could be a little more radical and it was safe to do so, but she had to, if she wanted to ascend the political, yep latter had to kind of be a little more central if she uh, if she wanted to be where she's at yeah <laughs> and i and you and you have that exactly right right when i was looking through the, her history she literally was it was she was playing chess right yeah. um and so from 
from Oakland. She, obviously, she went to San Francisco and became the, the district attorney there. And then she became the first black uh, uh, woman to become attorney general for the state of California, right? And so in that process, folks who were on the left side were really hoping she was going to be their progressive district attorney, their DA, and that didn't happen, right? Or excuse me, attorney general, and that didn't happen. Um, and so when she was on her way to office, when she was in the presidential primaries, a lot of people put her record on attack. And I think that's where she lost a lot of, lost a lot of Black folks when that started to come up and people were saying, you know, where she didn't get involved in high profile shootings in California and she wasn't as progressive as people hoped. Um, but the left side was also saying, you know, that she didn't support police when there was a black man who was charged, who, who they wanted to do the death penalty for, for killing a police officer and she didn't support it, right? Um, and, and the police union wasn't really supporting her as well. So it really, looking at her history, she's told the line very strategically for several years, to your point, to position her really, really well to be a VP um, without, <laughs> without too, too much scrutiny from either side. Yeah, and I've seen this, you know, I've had a, 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 a little mild minor political history, especially at the University of Florida. And so, uh, you know, for a lot of uh, people, like once you have casted yourself or relegated yourself as a worker bee or someone who does the work or has gotten themselves elected in a smaller position, then people, especially white moderates, decide to pick you and prick you up mm -hmm. and decide to elevate you in your career and, and mold you into a black leader who represents white values. Yeah. Say it, right? Yeah. And so this has happened at the University of Florida. It happened. Black people would see, black people and white folks would see that you kind of represented uh, moderate values or that they could connect to you or you could speak white moderate. You were digestible. Values. Yep. You're palatable. You're a palatable black, right? Yep. And so once they saw you and handpicked you, then they groomed you. And so I think personally, as soon as she, as soon as she became district attorney of San Francisco, at that point, they decided, ooh, you, you are someone that we can allow to ascend the political ranks, right? And so yeah. that happened even with Obama. As soon as I think he became Harvard Law Review uh, president, it was mm -hmm. like, this is the man we're gonna That's mold it. him, right? Yep. And so it happens early and then people kind of prune and groom you, so to speak. He was ripe for the position. And so I think she represents a lot, um, but I think she's in the position because of a lot of things that she represents in her political history. So yeah, Kamala was really ripe for the position because of all the intersectionalities that she holds. And so mm -hmm. just to go more uh, deep into intersectionality and what that means, it was coined by law school professor, professor Kimberly Shaw in the late 1980s. And so it just talked about the different stigmatized groups that people can have, people of color, and how they can have um, multiple forms of oppression in one single individual, right? And so mm -hmm. if we look at Root of Black Girls, right, Afnan and I, and like yeah. multiple intersections that we have, I see it as a positive thing, but it does represent oppressed groups, right? We're Black, yeah. we're women, we're Muslim, right? And so we have this ability to kind of connect with different struggles, political struggles, social struggles, but we are often oppressed in multiple forms, right? Yeah. We've done this, like if you guys want to check out earlier episodes, we talked yeah. about even the relationship between black men and black women and yep. kind of that that idea of between oppressed groups versus oppressing groups, right? And we've yeah. done it before. I love the conversation. I can I can go on for days, you know? <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, but so she represents many intersectionalities, right? She's a woman, she's of South Asian descent, she's of black descent, right? Um, she's uh, of a African immigrant descent, like black Caribbean African descent. And yeah. so intersectionality is huge. And so we were, you know, when we were having our conversation to discuss the episode, we talked about how we can connect with multiple struggles, although they're not our own. And think about like trans people, right? Um, I think about that. I don't know a trans person in my life, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I hear the movement. I see that they're killed at, at, at significant rates, you know, yeah. and they're a marginalized community that's often in the shadow. And so yeah. by holding and uh, being having these intersectionalities of oppressed groups, I can understand other forms of oppression and yeah. connect those struggles, right? Yeah. And yeah. so it's not that I know a trans person, but I understand that all people should have rights, right? Civil rights and protections under the law. And so um, I, again, will say that I love the, all the intersectionalities that our girl Kamala has, but I hope that it, 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 you know, she's in a position as vice president. She may be cute, she may represent a lot, but again, I don't support identities, I support values and I support governance and policy from her, right? Yeah. And I think she's gonna do right by the people, I really do, you know? And we yeah. know that because, and I think you're gonna touch on this, her prosecutorial history kind of changed over, a period of time when she went from uh, California and when she became the state senator, the first black state senator of uh, the, the, the Republic of California. Yeah, and I think this is this is really important when you talk about like not only her intersectionality, um, but uh, but also how she's perceived. I can say personally, this is just a phenomenon, right? Um, that when Kamala Harris kind of rose up and I was like, who is this woman? The first couple of things that I read, I was like, uh-uh, I'm not feeling this. You know, she's skin folk, but not kin folk, right? And then, you know, and going to your point of values, I just didn't feel like she was as for the people as I would have liked to elect. And so she, I was like, you don't get my vote. I was team Bernie all the way, right? And so, but you know, and, and I think even the far right used that advantage, the fact that she kind of told the line and told half of the story, right? So the right tried to make it seem like, you know, she was a far leftist and that's not true. And then left tried to make it the, the seem the same way, but she really did a good job of striking the balance. So for example, she created a database for crime statistics for the use of excessive force in California. She's one of the first to do that for the state, right? Um, and not just in California, but across the, uh, the nation, like that wasn't a popular thing at that time, but that didn't get a lot of attention when she was in the primaries for the president presidential election, right? She also created a reentry program for first-time drug offenders, which helped, you know, youth, you know, and we know that that those numbers are skewed to one side, right? Um, and help them, you know, get their records removed with the use of, um, or with education, excuse me. But that stuff didn't come to light. Um, and so when she's standing up there next to Bernie, it, it, it becomes a very easy choice. But then once like, you know, Bernie dropped and and Elizabeth Warren dropped and all these other folks dropped, you know, she she was she was a good candidate because she was balanced, right? And so I wasn't really feeling her, but then when we didn't have a choice, I was like, I'm gonna support her because you know, it went from I my my, my lack of love and fuzzy feelings right for Kamala was far uh um was far less than my desire to get Trump out so the focus became anybody who's gonna get him out you got my vote right yeah, exactly. um but then so I, I was still lukewarm on her even as I was voting for her if I'm gonna be honest right um and so uh there was a moment however that that intersectionality connected for me as a viewer. And that was when there was the presidential debates for um, with her and Pence. 
-hmm. And I remember seeing her gracefully navigate this very intricate dance between being um, assertive and firm, but classy and not a bitch because like, it's a very, it's a very fine line. Um, And that immediately resonated with me um, in terms of how well she did that, because obviously for anybody, any black woman who works in corporate America or any type of, you know, for-profit and even in nonprofits, I imagine it's there, there's some extent of that where you have to be careful about how you say and your, your male counterparts can say something. So that was the first moment where I was like, hmm, yeah, okay, maybe you, maybe we do have some type of um, common ground in terms of our value systems, right? And then the, no, the next one- add there- yeah. I think what's going to happen with her and her holding the highest position, like the second highest position in this country, Yeah, black women, we know, and I think largely everyone knows are very talented, right? In both uh, the economic sectors, education, uh, medicine, law. And so we do hold these positions, but we, if we look at black CEOs, black women are not well represented in those spaces and leadership spaces. So I think how she carries herself. And as you, as you said so eloquently about being assertive, but not being a bitch, right? And it sucks that we have to toe that line, right? It really fucking sucks, right? But she does it really well. And I think by people seeing her, white men seeing her in this position, it allows and kind of expands the idea of what a black woman can do in corporate leadership spaces. So yeah. I do think that we will see the ascending of black women and I hope also black men into more leadership positions by her just representation, her speaking at the White House, her holding press conferences and how she moves and and connects with even media sources and other leaders around the world. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. And that's absolutely correct. I think the second moment where she, she won me over a little bit more was actually after after the inauguration, mm-hmm. I saw a video where she, she, I saw a video on Instagram where she was speaking to a young girl through video, right? And it was somebody who worked at the White House or something like that. And she was like, hey, you know, I just got inaugurated president. And, and the message was to the little girl, um, you know, and so, you know, I hope that I get to see you soon when it's safe and da da da. And basically, like the little girl, the little black girl who she was speaking to melted. And she's like, oh, the vice president of the United States. She homegirl literally fell out like three, three times. And she tried to eat the couch because she was just beside herself. She just could not understand. And she's like, I don't know. It was a beautiful moment. And I didn't watch the whole inauguration. I didn't really care to. Um, and I, I was actually a little bit nervous. So I, I didn't even just emotionally, I didn't want to consume the social media. But after the fact, that moment brought tears to my eyes when a lot of other Black women I know said the inauguration made them a little bit emotional to see her being sworn in. For me, it was that moment because I saw myself in that little girl. And I literally, the first thought I had was like, look like how our daughters are looking at Kamala Harrison for our for Harris excuse me our daughters don't think about the intersectionality because they're so young all they understand is she looks like me and if she's up there then I can get up there that connection happens so fast and I was like wow there's 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 a a a clear um, evolution that's happening a revolution that's happening in the minds of our young people coming off the heels of Trump Mm -hmm. it's so freaking powerful that I was like all right girl I mean I'm gonna give you a chance (laughs) right because like you're inspiring you're inspiring the next senators you're inspiring the next um, district attorneys and hopefully the next you know uh, president of the United States to be someone who's 
uh, a black person, like, you know, from the United States, a black person, not, you know, and I know we're going to get into this in ADOS, but <laughs> I definitely wanted to share that because she's slowly winning me over. And I hope to your point that she takes action using the communities that she's from and using yeah. the intersectionality and her policy matches her identity and her That's values. It. That's it. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, yesterday I was reflecting, I was like cleaning and reflecting and I was thinking like, oh, now we think about the radical movement of Black Lives Matter, right? And uh, I wanted to think around like, how, where do we move from here? And I was just like, oh my God, like you don't really have to think that hard. You just look like 50 years, 60 years before us and see exactly what, what happened with the Black Power Movement, right? You see these leaders, these radical leaders and people don't think Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King was that radical, but he was a radical leader, right? And yeah. you think about Malcolm X, we have these like rhetoric that's pushing the, the political landscape super left, right? And so mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter with like defund the police, right? These, these things that we're not actually gonna defund the police, but radical agendas push the needle to more central centrist ideas, right? Yeah. And so um, I think we're, if we look to see what's happening right now, we see Black Lives Matter, we see radical leaders, right? And then now we're seeing, seeing the ascension of black leaders, right? This, this has already happened, right? In the, yeah. in the 70s and 80s, we ended up seeing the ascension of Black leaders in like these leadership positions. We think about Shirley Chisholm, we think about Marion Barry, we think about Jesse Jackson. So I think yeah. she's uh, kind of the start of this like leadership push of Black and Brown people um, in this country. Yeah. So I'm excited to see, you know, how her representation kind of forms and formulates uh, what's happening in this country after this kind of radical uh, summer that we had that I hope we yeah. continue to have. <laughs> you know who my fave is. I'm, 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 I'm excited for Stacey, but I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Yes, yes. And so now we have to talk about um, what Kamala doesn't represent, right? Mm -hmm. I think we'd be remiss not to talk about that. And I think we have to dig a little deeper. Um, this is off the heels of even um, Danny Lee giving us a little song on Twitter called Yellowbone. She gave us a snippet of that song, right? And if we look to Kamala, we think about what she looks like, right? She's a light-skinned woman. She has long, straight hair, right? Um, and she's more palatable to white people, right? She's also represents, she's a Caribbean immigrant and South Asian immigrant, right? So she does, she's not represented by the um, uh, African descendants of enslaved people, right? From the United States. And so then I, you know, when I'm, uh, you know, this is a touchy subject, but I wanted to have this conversation, right? And we were, we were like going back and forth. We we're like, well, what does this mean, right? And so, then we think about Obama. Obama, also a black man, but also light-skinned, palatable to white people. Um, and then also his family, his father is from Kenya. So he's a Kenyan immigrant, you know, born in the United States with, uh, you know, Hawaii, right? And so when we have these leaders that are in the highest form of leadership in this country and they don't represent African descendants of enslaved people, I have a question, right? I'm like, oh, we're not, I'm not seeing uh, a lot of representation. They're there, right? Especially in the Congress. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm not seeing in the highest leadership forms, people from the ADOS community. And as someone who uh, was born in the United States, but comes from, I'm a first gen uh, kind of African-American family coming from Somaliland. Um, I, I, we have to be thoughtful about this, right? And I often uh, reflect on when we look at people who 
affirmative actions that have uh, been presented in this country, they often go to African immigrant and then white, white women, right? And yeah. so mm -hmm. I um, support the ADUS community um, to a degree around uh, they, some of their ideas are around um, on the census, separating black immigrant versus African uh, ADOS communities. And I think that's legit, right? Because you wanna see what social services are going to this specific marginalized community whose ancestors were a part of chattel slavery who built this country, right? And so it's, it, it gives me chills to think about that and to not see that this country is not paying reparations in many forms through education, through health, through housing, equity um, to the, this specific community, right? And I think yeah. once we specifically kind of uh, divvy out a sector and understand what this, who this population is, right? What services are going to this population and then giving, giving services, we'll see an ascension of black ADUS community members. And I then yeah. understand that um, the ADUS community, right? By lifting them, that lifts everyone. Right. And I think, you know, as an African immigrant, a child that comes from, you know, uh, uh, immigrant, you know, from the African continent, I think all of us should be around the ADUS community to a degree. Right. Because I did want to benefit to your point. Pardon? I said we all benefit to your point. We all benefit. So my last uh, idea around this is. Uh, when I was then further thinking about this as I was cleaning my house on Friday, that's like my thing. Um, I was thinking about how when political leaders connected uh, groups of people or internationalized struggles, they were often assassinated by the white majority. Yeah. So then you- uh, And this, this blew my mind when you said it. I really need you to break this all the way down because I had never thought about it like that, but I, I really need you to go in and explain this part. So the ADUS community, I think, is brilliant around giving resources to the ADUS community, right? But I think they are missing the idea of connecting African immigrants and the global Black majority to their movement, right? And connecting and because when people see that they're represented in a movement, then they actually are kind of connected and then they subsequently join that movement. And so I think they're missing kind of like bringing along, along African immigrants to push the, the, the global Black majority to um, internationalizing this struggle, right? Because yeah. when I think about black and brown people, we are the global majority and white people are freaking terrified around that. Malcolm X, as soon as he converted to, he was 11 months in the, if I'm not mistaken in the book, he says 11 months, he was participating in the Orthodox Islam religion, right? He had converted from um, the nation to Orthodox Islam. We think about Dr. Martin Luther King as well. He went to Memphis, Tennessee to speak to workers um, and he was connecting low socioeconomic status people and connecting both white and black people to this global internationalized struggle, right? And then he was murdered when he was about to give that speech. So when we band together people and by people, I mean, white folks are terrified, right? And so I, I just think now taking this back to Kamala, right? Kamala has a, is in a great position. She does represent being a light-skinned, long-haired woman who married a white man, right? So she's more of a palatable black person. Um, but I mm -hmm. hope that in this position, um, that she lifts and, and kind of connects and internationalizes this struggle, right? Um, and I think. Yeah you know, by looking at her, we just have to dig a little deeper. We just have to think about why she's in the position, why she's ascended the rank, why white folks have chosen her specifically to hold that position, how she's similar to Obama, right, in this idea. Uh, but, you know, I, I think she's in the position. So what, I mean, what black folks are gonna do is support her, but just do right by us.
you know, yeah. I write by us. I don't mean like my brother's keeper, like Obama, right? And he tried his best and he was the first, right? And often prototypes, you know, don't do a good job, you know, or often kind of miss areas. And so hard. It's, it's a hard position hard. to be a prototype, right? Because often prototypes fail. And I don't think he failed by any means, but he, but I hope she learns a lot from his presidency on how he kind of missed opportunities to support black people. And I hope by her holding the vice president position and having the ear of the president of the United States, Joe Biden, that she pushes the black uh, agenda further along. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I think speaking of pushing the black agenda along, I am still in awe of Stacey Abrams. We've sung her praises many times here on the pod, yeah. especially being living in Georgia when she was campaigning and to see firsthand how poorly she was treated and, and cheated, quite frankly, out of, you know, her election. I, I'm so proud of her and so many other black women, to be clear, um, who've contributed to making this happen because Kamala would not be there if it wasn't for Stacey. And also, honestly, Stacey was who I was hoping would be yeah. vice president. I, I really, really love her. Mm -hmm. So, but it's not over for her. I think sis got a plan. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that you had called some attention in terms of the difference between yeah. Kamala and Stacey that I would, I think that our viewers would love to hear as well. Yeah, so you know, now you think about Stacey Abrams, we think about the short list of VP candidates. Um, I think it was really kind of neck and neck for me, at least, for, between Stacey Abrams and Kamala Harris. And I thought, you know, because Kamala represented more moderate values, he'd want to choose a more left leaning person to kind of, because he's a moderate, you know, to kind of like uh, band together this dem dem democratic. Um, uh, agenda, so to speak. And so if yeah. you look at Stacey Abrams, right, she's been, she's called herself a sturdy black woman with natural hair, right? She's a, a, a larger woman. She has a gap. She has natural hair. She, I believe yeah. was born in like the Midwest, but then grew up in Mississippi, Gulf Court, uh, yeah. Gulf Court, Mississippi. She went to Spelman College, you know, and so she went, she went to Yale Law School. And so if you look at her- She's amazing. She's amazing. She's amazing. But because uh, someone actually told her, and I wrote this down, Stacy was told that she, if she lost 100 pounds, straightened her hair, um, and then found a way to like lighten her skin, because they said that she was too dark to run for her governor, that she would win, right? But is that person inaccurate? You know what I mean? Yeah. Right? Because I think uh, as as much as black people or white people find light skinned people to be more palatable, I mean, black folks, mm -hmm. we do too. You know what I mean? We do too. Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. do too. And so you see Stacey who's well qualified and has done work, groundwork. And we think about really, work. really. Yeah. Yeah. Like, tough work. Tough work. And we think about how larger black women have often pushed the, the cause or along, right? You think about, um, I was reading something that said how larger black women or people who consider people to be ugly, I don't really connect to that word, but you know, it was in this article, have pushed the yeah. movement along. We think about even Fannie Lou Hamer, right? She was doing groundwork on a daily basis and she kind of represents a similar um, idea around uh, Stacey Abrams where you're okay. It was relegated to do groundwork and grassroots movements, but they're not allowed to ascend to high leadership roles. And so yeah. I think Stacey Abrams was well qualified to be in that position. She's the reason why Joe Biden and Kamala Harris got elected, at least in the state yeah. of Georgia, and then also got them a Democratic majority in, in the Senate. The Senate. So, and then to see that she hasn't been casted or given a position in uh, Joe Biden's cabinet, I'm like, and maybe she turned it down. I don't know, but that lady- I, I'm almost positive she did because there's no freaking way. There's, there's no, no way. way. There's no way. So I just think, 
as a community, we have to think deeper around why some people send ranks, why other people don't. We have to question our own prejudices that we all hold, right? All of us. Um, all mm-hmm. of us do. We really do. Um, and I, I, I also have to think like, oh, am I being a hater low key with Kamala because I'm a Delta and I wanted the Delta to get the position first? And I don't think so. <laughs> I had to think about that. I was like, no, there are actual substantiated information here that, you know, makes Kamala kind of ripe for the position, you know, when we think about what what this country holds and the values it it holds and who it wants to have positions over others. And so, you know, as we reflect, we think, wow, Kamala Harris being in this office, amazing. She's representing so so many people in this office. And I hope that uh, her intersections will kind of move a policy forward. Um, And then we think about what her what her um, election doesn't mean, right? It's just like, okay, we still will like palatable black people. We think about songs like Danny Lee, you know, kind of talking about uh, proximity to whiteness and like yellow bone. We don't need yellow bone anthems, right? It's just not cute, right? Um, But then, you know, it's another conversation around colorism. I think we'll have that conversation one of these days because it happens even in our own kind of African immigrant communities. Um, Yeah, it's just Kamala, Kamala's it, Kamala's who we have. And I think it's important that we all kind of have a critical lens around her and understand her contextually and understand where she's, where she's come from, who she is in present and what we expect her to be. And so I think we just kind of hold her accountable, her and her and Joe, my cup of Joe. Yep. Absolutely. Stay involved, stay aware and abreast of what, you know, what they're doing, the actions that they're taking, the legislation that's being passed and pushed. So I'm super excited, but I I am rooting for sis. And I really hope that she brings all these communities that she represents right into her governing. So I'm rooting for you. We are rooting for you. Rooted Black Girls is rooting for Kamala Harris. All right, guys, that's all we have for the episode today. If you guys liked, please make sure that you give us feedback on Instagram, rate and review on any social media platforms that you guys consume, but we'll see you next time. Um, Peace.